0: <coughs> next, song, Next song, we're going to sing at this. Let me suicide you. Tell me who side you're Be together! What a great song uh, reminds me of so many of you as we were singing in the last course There, Who's side a servant on? Ray walked in after serving his communion. So thank you, Ray, for your service there. Appreciate that week in and week out. So many of uh, so many people in the church uh, like Ray who just serve uh, quietly, and I appreciate uh, that heart uh, to serve uh, on the Lord's side. That's awesome, and to sing about that too. Uh, many things to celebrate today. And of course, we're going to finish our time here by celebrating God's word. We're back in uh, Luke chapter six. Uh, you can be turning there. Uh, missed you guys uh, last week. Uh, Mandy and I were out of town. Uh, we were at a meeting in Helsinki, Finland. There's some, there's some proof. You we were right there. Uh, we weren't on a secret holiday. Uh, but it was, it was a great gathering. The UK and Nordic churches of ours have started to collaborate and work together. And uh, so this is a meeting that we have uh, every year or so uh, to come together. And we came together in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, beautiful spring was flurrying as we arrived. and uh, But, you know, it was so encouraging that this – the South in Helsinki, the church there, is about 30. They're looking for full-time staff. They've gone through a lot. And uh, this is the largest gathering. We had the church with them on Sunday, the largest gathering of, of our church in Helsinki in their history of the church. So they are very encouraged uh, to have all the staff and the elders and administrators uh, from the U.K. and the Nordic churches coming together. And there's a lot of good news, some great lessons. i uh, got some great discipline for our lives, Manny and I, and I thank you uh for supporting us uh, on our trip. Um uh a few things real quick this week uh it's a little bit of an abnormal week there's gonna be no teens this Friday because this Saturday we're having one we're calling our phone fest at Cannon Hill Park pray for good weather. Uh the way it's gonna work is bring a picnic lunch at 1 p.m. We'll meet at the bandstand. We'll have some food, some fellowship. Uh, They're going to have some different games going on in the park, some scavenger hunts to share our faith. It's just going to be a great time uh, as a church family to come together, uh, celebrate uh, what we have in Christ, and just share the good news a bit too with those in the park. So hopefully everyone is free Saturday can make it. Uh, from 1 to hopefully about 5 p.m. Uh, there at Cannon Hill Park. So we'll see you there Saturday. Uh, and then, of course, uh, uh, lastly, we don't have any, any any congregational meetings this week. You, you may have family group meetings. Um, uh, this last month, of course, we, we tried a Wednesday congregational meeting versus a Friday congregational meetings. I've asked the family group leaders to solicit feedback. You may or may not have done that with the family group leader. Feel free to let them know what you prefer Wednesday or Friday. Um, And we're going to try to solicit feedback uh, through today, And so if you want to talk to me about it as well. We're trying to do what's best for the church spiritually, uh, what's best for the rhythm of our church. It's not really about what's popular, but really what's best spiritually. Uh, But we do really want to get feedback on on what people think now that we've tried out two Wednesdays versus two Fridays. So please uh, give us some feedback if you haven't already. All right, on to the good stuff here. Luke chapter 6. Uh, appreciate Hugh preaching last uh, Sunday, the sermon on the plane. Everybody did a great job. Amen. Um, you know, and, and, and as as uh, as Hugh did so well, he he, he reminded us, uh, you know, of Jesus' power and how he he, he challenges our whole view of life. Uh, you know, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated. Uh, we read, uh, and, and when we hear that, you know, Jesus, he's so countercultural. He's he's almost at this point counterlogical. It just just doesn't make sense, right, at first when we hear it. Uh, How is it true? Well, of course, the great reversal in the end is what Jesus is referring to there. In verses 24 to 26, he says, you know, in the end, the first are going to be last. And all those who seem last in the end are going to be first. All those things in life, we think that's not fair, that's not right. Jesus says God's going to write all that in the end. Because God is just and God loves People, and he's going to make sure that people in the end are loved by him accordingly. And so it's a great uh, picture uh, of the end times. All that does not seem right in the end will, will be made right by God. Of course, uh, the cross, as Joe shared about that today, uh, was just that. It didn't look right. It didn't seem right. But in the end, it was just right. Uh, and of course, through that, we can and will be saved. Um, so Jesus gives the sermon on the plane here in Luke. Uh, then he goes on in verse 27... To say in Luke chapter 6, but to you who are listening, you know, now that I got your attention maybe, he says, love your enemies, in verse 27. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, in verse 28. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Verse 30, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others, in verse 31, as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But he says, love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, He concludes, just as your Father is merciful. Again, some challenging stuff here. He's not done. Uh, Aiming for Jesus is the title here of my sermon this afternoon. It's, it's crazy talk at first glance. But what if we really, as society, as humans, really lived out these ancient teachings? What if we really lived this way? The world would not be so crazy, would it? It'd be a place full of peace and joy in abundance. And so it's important for us as Christians to realize, first, what is Jesus actually saying here? And we'll talk about interpretation and the challenge of this passage in a moment. But also, what what does this look like for us? Because if anybody's going to get this, it's the church. And if anybody's going to change the world through these teachings, again, it's going to be the church. And so I think it's important as we look at this, uh, first of all, to clarify you know, what what Jesus, what he's not, what he's not saying. Uh, You know, in verse 29, it's probably one of the more misunderstood passages... Um, in the New Testament, uh, where he says, "There, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also." People can can hear this and think that Jesus is advocating just being someone's punching back. You know, just just stand there and just take a beating, no matter what you know comes your way. Uh, but but what's interesting about Jesus is he was no doormat. If you read through the Gospels, he was he was no pushover. Um, but sometimes he did turn the other cheek, uh, and the question is why. Uh, and, and and how how did he do it? Well, as you read through the Gospels, I think Jesus sometimes, he was passive toward aggression and violence. He, he did turn the other cheek, but it was all, always with purpose and power when he did it. And so what he's teaching here is not non-resistance to evil, which is what we might hear at first glance, which sounds crazy. Uh, Jesus never would have come to the earth and died if he taught non-resistance to evil. He actually showed up to, to combat evil, right, uh, on the earth. Rather, he is teaching perhaps non-violent or non-sinful resistance to evil. In other words, don't, don't sin when someone sins against you. And so I do not believe, as I've studied this this past week, that he is saying defy evil. Rather, overcome evil with good. And Jesus' life again on the cross showed this through and through. He did that just perfectly as he died on the cross in the face of great Great evil. And so, the real challenge though, I think, as I, as I read through this uh, and think about it, is it's not really one of interpretation. We'll get to that in a little bit. It's really more one of living this out. How do we live out uh, this teaching today as a Christian? Because uh, as I said on the cross, you know, Jesus, he fully displayed what, what he just taught us here. He wasn't calling us to do something he himself uh, wasn't willing to do. And I think it begs some really serious questions of us as Christians. You know, what does what Christians really guide our life? You know, do we really think Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? We can say that, but then when we read this passage and we face a situation in our lives, we may not be so sure of following that way. And again, am I really aiming for Jesus? What What is my target here in, in, in my so-called Christian faith? Am I really aiming for Jesus? Passages... Like this one, I think, reveal where we're really at in our follow in our following of Jesus in our discipleship, um, if you will. And so, let's look at each part briefly here and see what it means as much as we can, uh, the best interpretation, and then have a few practical points here uh, at the end. So, so most importantly, we live out uh, this incredible passage. So, here's here's kind of the four tenets uh, of this passage here in Luke 6, 27 to twenty-eight. You have this idea of loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, and praying. For those who mistreat you. So the first thing here is loving your enemies in verse 27. Uh, There are four uh, words uh, in in the Greek New Testament language for love. Uh, The two most commonly used words are agape and philia. Um, And agape love uh, is is actually the word here uh, in in the Greek. Uh, It's agape love. Agape love is an unconditional love that sees beyond the outer surface, right? uh, Although you may not like someone, you decide to love them. Despite the fact that maybe you don't like the way they're being. And so uh, it, it's a translation of the word uh, love in the verb form. It's love in the verb form. It's a committed and chosen love. And so it's really more about the love of our will. We will ourselves uh, to love people. Filio is quite different. Filio refers to an affectionate, warm, and kind of mutual love, right? It's it's platonic. It's it's friendship. It's family. Right. It, the translation of that word and love is is the it's it's actually the noun form of love. So so, so agape is the verb form of that love, and filio is the noun form of the word love. Um, and and so filio is much more about the heart. So much more about those warm fuzzy feelings, right? And 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 agape is much more about the will. We just do what is right in the end in love. And Jesus actually in John twenty one says to Peter. Uh, three times do you agape me you know do you do you have this this love of the will for me and Peter says uh, three you know over and over to Jesus you know I feel you you know I, I, I love you in, in, in a heart kind of way uh, and so love sometimes according to this passage and this is the only way probably we can live out this passage love sometimes is more about the will than our feelings but most of the time as human beings we think of love as how we feel but when someone's hating us cursing us, Opposing us and mistreating us, we're we're not going to feel love at all. But that's where we need really God, you know, in our hearts and God determining and dictating our wills. And that's the kind of love here towards an enemy that Jesus is calling us here to have. He says, also, you know, so this is, you know, addressing our will, our soul as Christians. The next uh, thing here in verse twenty-seven, do good to those who hate you, is is more about our actions. Not just not just you know what is deep inside of them. How we respond uh, to those who hate us, uh, and the context is important here. Verse twenty two we read uh, last Sunday: Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man." So Jesus is not talking about when 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 you you know run over a pedestrian because you weren't paying attention, you know, doing a text message, and someone hates you for that. Well, we're, we're inviting hate at that point, aren't we? He's talking about when you when you really do what God wants you to do. You're righteous. You, you do what a disciple of Jesus would do, and you get hated anyway, right? That's the kind. That's the kind of uh, treatment here that he's talking about. Someone receiving, uh, you know, as as someone who's who's led led the church for a long time in different capacities. Uh, I have been I have been hated. I have been mistreated uh, for, for what I believe really for just doing what God wants me to do. I've definitely been in the crossfires uh, you know, of this kind of idea. Um, the first time I encountered it was when I was uh, leaving the church plant in Roanoke, Virginia. And a good friend of mine you know, fell into a lot of sin, really you know, uh, messed up his marriage in the process. They were both Christians. Uh, in the end, his wife decided uh, you know, because of the sin that he had committed, uh, the adultery, that she wanted to divorce him. Biblically, she had the right, according to what Jesus teaches – uh, it was very controversial in a small church, you know, uh, the whole thing was very sad. Uh, she divorced him, and in the end, he hated me because he thought that I, as the minister, should have told her she cannot divorce him. And so uh, this close friend of mine, he, he literally hated me after that. And I was, I was so haunted by it. I was so challenged by it. I thought, I didn't do anything, you know, I just... You sinned, you know, you, you, you fell short, you chose what you chose. She she had the right even biblically to do what she did, but now but now you hate me, you know, and, and he disappeared. I never even got to say that to him, but that's how I felt in my heart of hearts. Um uh and and it and it, and it was it was really hard for, for years. And, uh, and and praise God in the end, through uh through his brother who's a disciple, uh, we were able to sit down and reconcile a relationship before I left for Australia. Um and, and, and he was willing to, you know, let his grudge go with me. Uh, But that took a few years, and and as I read this passage, I wonder, what if I would have really tried to do good to this man who hated me, even though, yeah, he left the church, but he was still in the same community I was in. And and, and I think I forgave him, and I kind of let it go, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying we should do good, do good to those people. And I was very convicted uh, when I was reflecting upon that uh, as I looked at this passage here uh, this last week. Uh, but it's so unnatural. It's so hard for us, right? But there's real power. you know. I think of the Old Testament passage where we're he- heaping burning coals upon people's heads when we love the way Jesus loves. So Jesus addresses our wills, our actions here next in verse 28. He addresses our words. He says, bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. Uh, I think I mentioned it a little while back, Ricky and Ricky and Paul and I, the night we all met in Kenhill Park to share our faith, Ricky and Paul and I, kind of this gentleman walking out on the Mac, and, and he was quite hostile to us sharing our faith with him, and uh, he took the invitation Ricky gave him and just walked right in front of us and waddled up and threw it in the, tr- in the rubbish, and uh, he was pretty hostile, and... And I started to talk to him, you know, and he was saying, oh, there's no such thing as God. And I said, well, you know, it actually takes more faith to believe in nothing than to believe in something. And I started to kind of try to engage him in the debate. And he just kind of walked out, raw, 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 you know, and we didn't talk to him anymore. And, um, and Ricky and, and Paul and I, we moved on. Amen. But uh, but it's interesting, when I was, again, as I was reading through this passage, my temptation is to debate him, to engage him in a debate. But this says, you know, when someone curses you, you should bless them, not debate them. But my, again, my, my, my nature is to is to debate them. So I thought, well, look, if I could go back and do this again, well, what should I do? Well, when this guy insults our faith and says there's no such thing as a God and throws away the invite, well, maybe what Jesus is saying I should do is, hey, we appreciate your zeal and passion for your atheism. Wow, you know, you're you, you, you someone who's very bold. You know, th- th- thank you for challenging our faith because it tests it. It's great to meet you. You know, maybe that's what Jesus would have said to him. I don't know. But this passage, it challenges me to think, you know, am I blessing those who curse me? Jesus, he challenges the very words that flow out of our mouths, doesn't he? And again, you know, what kind of impact could we have? What kind of seed could be planted? What kind of door could be opened when we respond that way? Because that's very powerful. And it's unseen. It's unheard of in the world. And sometimes, sadly, even in the church. And lastly here, verse 28, as far as our interpretation, he says, pray for those who mistreat you. You know, Jesus, uh, even in the worst worst moment, as he's been, you know, mocked, falsely accused, beaten, spat upon, flogged. He's been nailed to a cross, an innocent man. He's on the cross, and, and what is his prayer? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What an example Jesus was, you know, of this very thing. Praying for those who mistreat you. Really, if you think about it, what, what better thing could we do for our heart and those who are mistreating us than to bring ourselves and them before God? And that's exactly what we're doing when we pray for those who mistreat us. So, you know, again, what, what, if you think about it and you take a step back, what actually is more effective? Our knee jerk, sinful reactions, that oftentimes just are that, or the teachings of Christ when it comes to opposition and mistreatment and hatred. And if you look at Jesus' life, and you look at his death, and you look at his resurrection, we know it's his teachings, it's his way that actually is the best way uh, to deal with these kinds of matters. But it's not an easy way; it's quite challenging. You know, Jesus he gives us some startling commands here, then gives us some startling recommendations uh, as to how to live this out. Right? He goes on in verses twenty nine through thirty. To, to again you know Just continue to rock our world here uh, If someone slapped you on one cheek Turn it into the other also If someone takes your coat Do not withhold your shirt from them Give to everyone who asks you And if anyone takes what belongs to you Do not demand it back Whew, You know and I think uh, The question I said earlier Is, is it is an interpretation question is, is this a literal teaching Is this figurative talk You know that Jesus is presenting here um, you know, he, he says, if someone strikes you, um, slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. Also, um, this is kind of a little bit cultural. Uh, it, it, it wasn't. Uh, it, it was a, you know, today we might we might equate this to spitting in one someone's face. To, to slap someone on the cheek with the with the back of the hand was the ultimate insult. The ultimate insult towards someone in Jewish culture. Um, and so, would kind of be like us, you know, spitting in someone's face today It was an ultimate and deliberate gesture. Of disrespect, um, and so uh, so some interpretations are you know if you use the backhand and you slap someone's cheek, you're gonna you know hit hit the cheek on this side. Well, if you turn the other cheek, the only way they can now slap you is if they do it with the forehand instead of the backhand, and that would be a whole other level of mistreatment so, towards someone. So maybe it's it's kind of it's kind of almost shaming our opponent at that point. To then offer the other cheek, and even say, "Oh, you want to go further? Well, the, well then go further." That's again, that's one interpretation. Um, and again, you know, Jesus was willing to take a lot on uh, for, for for the sake of what's best for for his opponent's soul, not just for his. And so again, that's you know, that's a little bit perhaps of what he's saying is because we got to be willing to go a little bit further than we want to. Uh, even even if it's physical, uh, to, try, to try to help them to think about what they're doing and why they're doing it. You know? So it's kind of almost like a, a shock to their system. I think of the civil rights movements in the 60s in the south of America. And people would be treated terribly, people of color. But they would just sit there and they would just keep their ground. And, and, and the racist whites who were doing that, after a while they would get shamed by the fact that this person wasn't fighting back. And that was one of the strategies of Dr. Martin Luther King and others. And it starts to, And it started to work. And the South slowly starting to change, and America's still working through that, obviously. But it's it, it's perhaps that kind of an idea that Jesus is presenting. The next one, you know, uh, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. The Jews only, the Jewish men only wore two garments: their coat and their shirt. And so this is why maybe it's not a literal teaching, that, because Jesus is not really promoting nudism. I don't think you know. I don't think you find that in the early church. You know that no one no one has a shirt or a coat because they give it to someone else. So that's one interpretation is you know it's more figurative based on that. You know that that idea right there. Um, Give to anyone who demands. Well, well, at some point you're gonna you're gonna have no money uh, if, if if that's all you do, and then you're gonna have no money to give to others and support the church. And and so again, you know, what when is it figurative? When is it literal? Is, is a great question. But the real challenge is: do we have the heart to really trust Jesus's words and try to put them into practice? That really is. The challenge, I believe, whether the interpretation of verses, these few verses in 29 to 30 is is literal or figurative. Um, Because either way, we've got to be sacrificial. Either way, we've got to be gracious in the face of hate and harm. Uh, One commentary I read said, The sheer difficulty of these commands has led to discussion of how literal they are. Marshall points out correctly that the illustrations are somewhat figurative. since says to follow Luke 6.29 literally would lead to new desert. Yet Jesus' life makes it clear that he took these standards seriously. When his opponents took his life, he did not seek retribution, but prayed for their forgiveness. He was more interested in giving something that would build than in retrieving what had been taken. The three illustrations picture the kind of action that manifests radical love. And so ultimately, I think what Jesus is calling us to in our actions... Is 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 what I'm doing building up God and His kingdom and humanity, or is it tearing it further down? Because I may be getting torn down by whatever's coming my way, but 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 am I tearing down further by my actions and my responses to those very very challenging things? Um, and then of course he goes on to talk about the you know the golden rule. Sorry, the golden rule, in verse thirty one. You know, to me, he's kind of summarizing this whole thing in verse thirty one. Do to others. He says in conclusion, as you would have them do to you. It became known as the Golden Rule uh, during the Renaissance era. And, and, and again, you know, what, what if we truly lived out just verse thirty-one? What if we really treated people uh, this way? You know, if we're aiming for Jesus, this is how we ought to live. These are teachings that should apply to our lives every single day. Uh, it, it's challenging, yet it's rewarding when you live out the teachings of Christ. And so, a few things here to conclude from uh, this section of scripture: if we're aiming for Jesus, we have to remember first here that Christianity is about doing good, not just avoiding evil. You know, Christianity can become oftentimes about just 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 not doing bad things, But really Christianity is really about doing good things. And, and unfortunately, this is where we can often get off track. You know. It, and, and even the idea of holiness—why why should we be holy? Why should we be set apart and not sinful? It's again so that we can then be prepared to then go out into a sinful world and help people become Christians. So even our holiness is not just for ourselves; um, it's 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 for the common good of all those around us as well. So we got to be filled with God uh, so we can do good, and that and that is the challenge. Uh, I think that this presents to some degree. John Wesley, you know, he put it well. You know, he said. He says, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, and all the ways you can, and all the places you can, and all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. And now we're all exhausted and overwhelmed. But that's that's what Jesus is saying here. In, in a nutshell, it's just, it's just, we should be about doing good, not just avoiding evil. But it's so easy in the church to just be about avoiding evil, but that's not the church at some point. That's just a nice moral religious club. And that's not what Jesus died for. He died for so much more than that. The second practical here is, is, is Christianity is about doing what Jesus said and did. I know you've heard that before. Oh, thanks for the insight for us. Yeah, yeah. But again, you know, Jesus' teachings, is that really what we're following on a day-to-day basis? Is that—is that the mark? Is that what we're really aiming for when we're at work, when we're at school? In the way we treat our family. In the way we interact with our neighbors. Even within our, our church. is the, Are these teachings really being lived out? It's very easy to fall into religious syncretism. Religious syncretism is this idea. And you see it in the Old Testament. The Jews were pure. They had the law. They were set apart for God's people. They start mixing in with the Canaanites. They start mixing in with the Assyrians. The Babylonians. And next thing you know. They get a little bit of Judaism. A little bit of paganism. A little bit of the Greeks, a little bit of the Romans, and then you get to the the Jews in Jesus' day, and they're so far, they're so far in many ways from what God intended. Because they took took the truth that they had, and they mixed in a lot of other things with it. And that's always the danger in the church, that we we take the idea of Jesus, but that's about as far as it goes. And then we just kind of follow our own wisdom, our own insight, our own ways of doing things. There's all kinds of religious sayings that we might even ourselves... Be saying in discipling times, I may have even said it from the pulpit that actually aren't even in the Bible. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Not in there. To thine own self be true. Not in there. God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. Money is the root of all evil. That's twisting what the Bible says. It doesn't quite say that. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Although I I have said that to my team a few times. (laughs) This too shall pass. God works in mysterious ways. I actually do use that one. The eye is the window to the soul, and you could probably add more to that list. And again, I'm not saying these are necessarily bad ideas or bad concepts, but again, it's so easy to take the truth and start to add in our little wisdoms and our little antidotes and our little feelings, and and next thing you know, we're not aiming for Jesus anymore. We're aiming for some other kind of religion, and we don't want to be that kind of church, Amen. We want to, we want, we want the whole Jesus and nothing but Jesus, and all the things that we do. And lastly here, Christianity is about what is best, not just good. Christianity is a call to what is best, not just what is good. You know, Jesus, He gave us His best on the cross. He gave us His best in, in, his, in his life and His ministry. He, he poured it all out. And that's really the golden rule. To me, that's that's really what the golden rule is talking about. It, it, it's talking about giving our very best. You know, that... that That is the Christian standard. We we go for the gold. We don't settle for the silver. We 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 don't settle for the bronze. We go spiritually for the gold. That's what Christianity calls us to. So oftentimes we settle for the negative golden rule. You know, don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to you. But again, that's the opposite. That's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here in this passage. You know, Jesus was in His perfection. And as Christians, we are not striving to just do okay. We should be living a golden life. Never settling for anything less. And that's exactly what he warns against, right? In verses 32 and 34, says, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners Expecting to be repaid in full. The best standard we have, it's certainly not mine, it's certainly not ours, it's certainly not the world's, it's 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 our Lord's. Because only He lived the life to the full that we're all striving for. And so, amen, anyway, this is this is a challenge to our natural responses, this is a challenge to our instincts uh, in many ways, but we have to remember our instincts are in a fallen world. Our instincts are, are are after the fall. They're, they're, they're not naturally righteous. When we are hated or we are hurt uh, by others, it's so easy to hate back and to hurt back. You know, when we trade hate for hate, insult for insult, we are not doing what is best for us. And we're not doing what is best for them. And often that's what Jesus is calling us to here. It's challenging and it's inspiring. Uh, and, and, and so how do, we, how do we go out this week... After Jesus has blown our minds again, you know, by his teachings, how do we go out this week and live out this passage? Well, a couple things here to close out, a couple practicals. The first one is I think we need to aim small. Speaking of aiming for Jesus, sometimes we need to aim small. Um, Oh, I don't have the the scripture up there. Sorry. Uh, Aim small. Oops. I thought I had a scripture up there. I apologize. Um, or big, amen. We'll get to that. Um, aim small. You know, sharpshooters. Uh, you know, they they focus. They focus on the exact spot they want to hit. They aim small. And so, I think for us, it's 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 really quite simple. Where are you withholding love? Where are you withholding righteous response? Where Where are you withholding kindness to those who, who really aren't loving you? To those who really aren't treating you the way you want to be treated, it can be just a little, a little normal everyday interaction that you have at work, that you have in your family, that you that you have, you know, in, in, at school. Uh, I think you can really start even in the church. Speaking of maybe small, you know, are we really treating one another this way? We're bound by agape love for sure, and this passage refers to it. Uh, but but we should have the filio as well in the church. Well I mean I, I guess I'll just never like that brother and sister but I'll love them anyway because of Jesus I mean you can you can decide that and that is agape love but but really in the church we should be striving for more than agape love we should be striving for filio love as well uh, but you get outside of these walls and certainly at the very least we should have agape love uh, for the world that is around us you know Jesus talks about how powerful this love can be in John 13 34 to 35. Meant to have it on the slide there, didn't didn't make it in the translation. He says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, if we have a lack of love here, we are we are we are losing touch with Jesus. And if you can't love your brother whom you can see, the Bible says you can't love God whom you cannot see. And so certainly Amy Small starts here. But I believe here is a great training ground and a safe training ground for learning to love more. And then we can take that out into the streets and out uh, into our neighborhoods. Um, so, so we gotta, we got to aim small. we got to aim small. You know, what, what's a good next step with that neighbor, with that coworker, with that classmate, with that family member who is really hard to love? What's, what's that next step for you? Perhaps the Spirit's prompting you in that direction. Uh, another idea here is just to aim big, uh, as I already exposed to you several times in the slide. Aim big. Um, you know, sometimes we need, we need to be like a sharpshooter, other times we need to be like a photographer. We need to kind of see the big picture, right, and see how it all how it all works together when it comes to loving people. Um, you know, to do this, we I think we must have God's heart. We must have His view of the world. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. That passage says, because of God's love, because of that heart, He gave. Right? Because of that heart, He gave. Uh, and this passage calls us to, to give way more than we want to. Just like God gives to us. God didn't want to give up His son, but He chose to give up His son. So that we might be saved. That That is God's heart. So when we're talking about any big, we're aiming for that big heart of God. Having the heart of God for a lost world. Giving uh, even when it hurts. For example. Um, And the encouraging thing is, you know, how, how do we do that? Well, we have to realize, verse 35, Jesus says, as he closes out here, he says, Your reward will be great when you do this. And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. What's the reward? Often what I think he's saying in verse 35 is, You will be more like God. You will be more a son and daughter of God. That mean, nasty, hateful person, they may not change at all. They may be even more mean and more hateful. But but our reward is not necessarily that they will change, although they may, because that's the best chance to help them change, is to be like Christ. But the reward often might just be, we are more like Christ. And if we are more like Christ, that reward is beyond measure. It's beyond measure. But yes, you must have a theological view to, to live this way. You must understand Jesus' call here and how God is ultimately controller. control or this kind of giving can become foolish and futile. Uh, without this kind of understanding that God ultimately will reward this if we're going to be more and more like Christ. You know, if we are aiming for Jesus, we will love like God. We will give regardless. Um, you know, my uh, uh, my brother called me. Um, no, actually, he, he messaged me this morning. My older brother, Sky, some of you who know know me and know my older brother. And I don't think he would mind me saying this publicly. Uh, if you're listening online, bro, hopefully you're not mad at me. Um <laughs> You know, he's been through a lot. The last five years, uh, he's, he's he's fallen back into uh, alcohol, uh, uh, addiction, and, and, and some drug use, and his life has really fallen apart. He's been in and out of jail. Uh, you know, it, it's wreaked havoc on my family, it's wreaked havoc on his life, um, and uh, he's really back to, you know, st- he's starting over. He just got out of jail, and uh, he's staying in this place called Fort Jackson in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, for the last five years, he's burned every bridge he has. Burned every bridge he has. Um, we were home last summer and he was he was he was a mess and it was very difficult uh, to see him in that state and um, and uh, you know it's amazing he gets out of jail and really I mean he has he has nowhere to go he, he his family has, has been so hurt by him they're cautious they're leery uh, and I won't get into all that but my family doesn't love him and support him nonetheless. Uh, but this this place Fort Jackson uh, they, they they take men in who've just gotten out of jail uh, they provide for them food shelter uh, job training, spiritual support, uh, and, and and of course what I'm getting to here is, is Fort Jackson is it's a Christian-based, it's a Christian-based home. And and because these people love Christ, they're loving my brother, who really honestly is becoming lovable. Society as a whole doesn't, doesn't want someone like him around. He's he's been a menace in many ways to society. But it just really hit me like a ton of bricks as I – he was messaging me this morning, you know, apologizing, and he's kind of finally – he's all coming together uh, the last five years. And uh, I called him. He's crying on the phone. I'm crying. It's just, it was emotional. But it just it – just, it was just so powerful to me. It just reminded me how powerful it is when we choose to aim, aim small in love. Because I don't think the, the idea of Fort Jackson started that way. It didn't start that way, you know. It was probably just some brother or sister who just thought, I want to love people who who are lovable. And next thing you know, know, someone like my brother is benefiting tremendously, getting a second chance at life. So this passage became very personal. I, he woke me up at six a.m. messaging me. You know, he realized, oh, sorry. You know, I was my set for six thirty anyway. You know, hey man, I'm preaching today, getting up early. Um, but you know, it's just it was just so encouraging to me and, and so inspiring to think how powerful that that little bit of love can become in people's lives. And so let's let's not belittle that. Let's let's not underestimate the power of you and I going out and living out this passage. It can change people's lives. For eternity. And my brother, you know, I, I'm going to continue to share my faith with him. He's always mocked my faith in many ways. But now he's starting to talk to me about my faith. And I'm looking forward to sharing my faith more with him. Uh, you know, in the days and weeks to come. Um, you know, the context here is really outreach, I believe, anyway. This is not really about, you know, time at church. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. You know, we've been doing disciple makers as a church. That's, that's great. Uh, but the truth, if it's not accompanied with love, will never get the job done. You can memorize every scripture. You can know how to teach it like no one can teach it. But if we're not, if the love is not pouring out the love of Christ, we will not get the job done. We've got to, we've got to have this love. We've got to let it overflow. We've got to put these teachings into practice for that to happen. we got to aim, look, we've got to aim small we got to aim big. big, big. Um, you know, as we close out here... Um, you know, if you're busy with us uh, tonight, you know, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for showing up. Um, I, I want to ask you, you know, do you think that God is aiming for you? If you're not part of this church, why are you here tonight? Why has God brought you here? I think it's because God is aiming for you. And, and, and that's not a, a threat with a weapon, that's actually, a, you know, an encouragement with His love. The cross is His weapon. And the cross demonstrates clearly His love for all of us. And God, through his love, he, he, he wants to help you. He wants to transform you. He wants to change you. You know, he's, he's blessed your life, or you, you wouldn't be here tonight in your right mind. Verse 35, it says, He's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Even in your at your worst point, he's loved you. Even at your ugliest your point, he's loved you. And, and and the 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 way we, we respond and become Christians, often the first step is to respond to that love. And to realize that he, he's been aiming for us all along. And I hope if you're visiting with us, that, that that you can you can allow God to hit the bullseye of your heart with His love. And one of the best ways we can help you to do that is to open up the Bible with us and to sit down and help you understand what God's love is really all about, and how to how to how to bring the the, the saving truth of that into your life through faith, repentance, and baptism. Um, and so, Amen. Church friends visiting, you know, let's aim small, let's aim big, but often we we're, we're aiming for Jesus. And, and if we're doing that, I truly believe. It's radical. It's revolutionary. It can change our church. It can change our ministries. It can change this city. And that's the ministry Jesus has called us to. He's not calling us just to be nice religious people. He's calling us to be people full of radical love. Radical love is what what changed our lives through the cross. And radical love is what he's calling us to here practically this week. Let's go out. Uh, Let's be challenged and inspired to live this out. And the Birmingham Church of Christ said... Amen. Thank you.